Welcome everybody back into Down the Line. As always, I'm your host Carson Breber and today we are kicking 2021 off with a bang because we have tournaments starting this week in both the ATP and WTA. And so what we're going to do today is lay out basically the season preview of the year that is ahead of us. So what I'm going to do is give 10 bold predictions for this coming season and then I will also lay out my picks for each Grand Slam just as far as the winner and the runner-up and we'll see how many of those I can get right when all is said and done. So my first bold prediction, we're going to start on the men's side. And maybe this one in the scheme of things isn't that outrageous, but I'm going to say that we're going to have another non-Big 3 slam winner in 2021. And it certainly seems that things are trending in that direction. For years, if the non-Big 3 slam winner were not Andy Murray, this would be a pretty bold statement. But I think that that is becoming less and less the case because Roger Federer obviously will not even be taking part in the Australian Open. And as he approaches 40 years old, coming off of surgery and a serious injury, he's going to be hindered. He may not be that serious of a slam contender throughout this year. We really don't know, although he did obviously still look very good this past season before the injury. Novak Djokovic, after an incredible 37-0 start to the year because I don't count the Carreño boost a default as a loss, he finished 4-4 and really slowed down towards the end of that season, seemed to be lacking motivation. We know that obviously he's had some injury problems. There was the talk that he had about considerations for what he would want to do after his career, after he had that really poor performance in Vienna. So all of these things make you say, okay, he'll be 34 this year. His peak, which we saw many times throughout this season, is still impeccable. It is in a completely different tier from everyone else, save maybe Rafa. But does he have that on a night-to-night basis? Does he have that for all four slams? I don't know. My confidence has waned a little bit there. And then Rafa, although he had that just incredibly dominant performance in Roland Garros, was 2-2 two and two in London and the season, only 27-7 and seven on the year made just two finals out of the six tournaments in which he took part. And then also, obviously, there is a strong field around these guys, maybe arguably stronger than it has been in the past. And I think the main contender who everybody looks at, who now has a slam title of his own, although it came in the absence of Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal, who opted out of the tournament, and Djokovic, who, of course, was defaulted in the fourth round, Dominic Team, who won that U.S. Open and has won three of his last four meetings versus both Rafa and Novak, and has won three straight against Fed, and obviously is the kind of guy who on his best day can hit with them, can compete with them. Mentally, we'll see if he can really hang, because although he is so experienced and has beaten these guys, the slams is a different game, and we kind of saw that in the Australian Open final against Djokovic, when Djokovic really wavered for a decent portion of that match, and team couldn't really capitalize. We have Daniil Medvedev, who of course beat both Rafa and Djokovic in London, and although he had a shaky 2020 campaign overall, really came on strong towards the end, winning a couple of major indoor tournaments and is always a threat to these guys. And then the rest of the field, Andre Rublev, who has emerged as such a legitimate top 10 guy, Zverev, who made his first slam final at the U.S. Open, Tsitsipas, even beyond that, guys like Raonic are playing impeccably well, Dimitrov, who's always scary, Stan Wawrinka, the former giant slayer who is obviously in his older years now, but is still a guy who can reach a really high ceiling. It's just easier to imagine some of the big three getting knocked off by these guys now. Maybe the names aren't more exceptional than they have been in years past in reality, but they feel like a little bit more of a threat. Again, at their best, Djokovic, Rafa still feel invincible to me, and we saw that from both of them, but they don't always feel that way, and I still think that they're going to be the top two players on tour. I still think that they will probably win three of the four between the two of them, but I'm not going to pick them to win every single one, which I probably would have done for most years when you throw Fed into the mix as well. Looking at the women's side, my first bold prediction, I think Bianca Andreescu finishes this year as world number one. And 
Right now, she's sitting at number seven, but that's with only 10 tournaments played from which she's earning points. And you compare that to the rest of the top 10, world number one, Ashley Barty, has 17. That's arguably on the low side. Number five, Elena Svitolina, has 26. Obviously, not all of those are countable, but still, people who are just grinding them out. And because Andreescu's 2019 campaign was so exceptional, she has all these points and the ranking format that we use this year because of COVID is very favorable to her in that respect. So now that she's back healthy after missing an entire season due to injury, I am very, very optimistic. I think that along with Osaka, she is undeniably the most talented player of this next generation. She should be an all-time great. She had a stretch in 2019 where she won 32 of 34 matches and only lost six matches all year long, and multiple of them were due to retirement. So even throughout her 2019 season, as incredible as it was, the injuries sort of played a factor there and giving it a couple more blemishes. And now she's here at 20 years old, and it feels like the doors are really open for her to take this spot. Because when you look at the other contenders, Ashley Barty, I think we can expect probably a slight drop-off from. She's the comfortable world number one right now, but her ceiling is not nearly as high as Andreescu's. Naomi Osaka, who again is maybe the only person who can rival her as far as talent, just struggles to consistently put it together full, for a full year like that up to this point in her career. Simona Halep, she can blow the doors off of on of her best day. I just think she's better than everybody else. I think she was probably the best player on tour in 2019, and now she has a chance to do it for a full season, hopefully fully healthy, and she's so fascinating, and this is such an interesting prediction, partly because we haven't really seen her play a huge amount of matches on clay or on grass. However, I do think that her game translates well. She really, to me, feels like the kind of player who should dominate on all surfaces because of the variety of pace, the control that she has, the incredible touch, the movement. Everything is there for her to be an all-quarter dominant player on all surfaces, and I think that that's what we should expect from her this year. So that one maybe is on the bold side, but I really just think that she is better than everybody else right now, and we're going to see that throughout this season. I was so optimistic for her last year. Unfortunately, injuries took away that opportunity, but this is the year. Okay, my next bold prediction centers around another favorite here on Down the Line, a guy who I talked about so much throughout this past season, who I already mentioned on this episode. I think Andre Rublev reaches the top five in the world this year, and I would have argued that he was a top five player last year, but because the ranking system was not able to benefit as much from his calendar season, which was certainly better than a Pass or obviously a Roger Federer who didn't even really play these guys who are ranked above him, he's number eight right now. To get in the top five, he has to reasonably pass Zverev and Tsitsipas and then either Federer or Medvedev, one of those two who are currently occupying the four and five spots. But for a guy who was 41 and 10 this past year, so immensely talented, can attack, can play with such beautiful control, can beat people from both sides as far as forehand and backhand, a brilliant server, a good mover. The talent's always been there, although he definitely put it together and reined in some of the raw power this past year. But it still feels like he had to sort of get through his head this year that he can beat the real top, top guys. Even in the U.S. Open, he goes up against Anil Medvedev, and it just doesn't seem like he plays his best tennis. He seems just a little bit nervous for the moment. But now, I think he's had that experience. He's gone up against these top guys, and now he can look in the mirror and say, okay, I am one of them. Interestingly enough, he, like Andreescu, doesn't have a huge sample size across all surfaces, particularly grass, but I do think his game translates well there. There's no reason that a guy who plays with his kind of pace and loves to attack like he does shouldn't perform well there, and historically he's performed well on clay. He won Hamburg this past year, so I have immense faith in Rublev. I do think, and I've said this many times over, so I don't need to go into great depth as to why, but I think he's more talented than Zverev, or at least better utilizes 
his talent, and I think the same goes for Sitsipas. And although those guys are the two more established players and they're all around the same age, I would bet on Rublev to reach a higher ceiling because I think he has such a clear identity out there and is so refined in his strengths and is so powerful, and his best day is just better than theirs, in my opinion. So I have great faith in him this year. I think he cracks the top five. Going back to the women's side, I think Coco Goff finishes this year as a top three American woman, and she has a long way to go to achieve that. She's currently ninth because, obviously, the American women are very, very strong at this point in time. And this one scares me a bit just because it's so much to expect from someone so young. She's obviously immensely talented, but at 16, for me, I always want these people to make the leap now. And I think that we've seen in the history of tennis that that has probably happened for people younger earlier than it does presently. People aren't really breaking through in their teen years, and I've talked about that a lot. But I'm not asking her to go out there and win a slam. I'm just asking her to probably be a top 15 or so player in the world, maybe pass up Madison Keys by a ranking or two, or if Amanda Anisimova comes on, hold her off by a ranking or two. Because Coco really is so, so close. Her last seven losses from 2020, here they are. She lost 7-6 in the third set to a top 10 player in Sabalenka. She lost 7-5 in the third set to the eventual quarterfinalist Trevisan in the French Open. She lost 6-3 in the third to Muguruza in Rome. She lost 6-4 in the third to seeded Sevastova in the U.S. Open. She lost to Sakari, who had an incredible season. She lost to a red-hot Jennifer Brady, who had an even more incredible season and was at the peak of her powers at this point, or beginning, really, her great top stretch. This was in Kentucky right when the tour came back. And the loss before that was in three sets to the eventual Slam champion, Sophia Cannon at the Australian. So you see the margins are so thin between her and the top players. And I think we can actually pretty easily point to one aspect of her game and say that can be the difference. She had 149 double faults in 18 matches this year. That's over eight per match. And she had that one famously horrible one against Trevisan where I believe she had 19. But even taking that out as a outlier of some sorts, way too many matches where she's near double digits or even above them. And for someone with as powerful and brilliant of a first serve as she has with the kind of weapon she does, she should be holding serve very consistently, but she didn't. She was actually really impressive as a returner, broke opponents over a third of the time, but only held about 68% of her service games. That needs to be significantly higher. If you compare it to people who are certainly further along in their development, more refined, real top slam champion kind of players, but have similar weapons, big servers, can just pound the ball with these flat strokes and blow people off the court. Osaka won 86% of her service games this year. Serena won 83% of this, her service games. And I'm not saying that Coco Goff should be at that level right now, but she has those kind of weapons that kind of serve. Muguruza is another comparable person here who maybe you can say similar skill set, but not all-time talent. Although I think Muguruza is a little bit more inconsistent and has a tendency to spray more balls than Coco does because Coco really understands point development. She can brush balls back. She's pretty consistent from the ground. We saw her actually beat Osaka in the Australian last year just because Osaka was spraying balls throughout the tournament and Goff was the more patient, smarter player. So it's not that she's beating herself from the ground. A lot of this is tied to her serve. She also only saves 50% of break points that she faces. That would be, if she were in the top 30, the worst of anyone. That's a really bad number. Osaka, Serena, they're both above 70% break points saved, and Coco is hovering around 50. So it's these tight points, and even though she's mentally tough for her age, I think she can still improve slightly there. I think that the second serve is certainly tied in with that. The margins are incredibly slim. 
beating yourself in this way, losing these 50-50 points where you actually have the advantage because you are the server, that's something that I truly think she can progress in because the talent is there. It is almost put together. I think her footwork is improved. Her point development is there. She's a fighter. The serve is monstrous. Everything we are well aware of. So if she can put that all together, although there is certainly stiff competition as far as being a top three American because of some of the names I laid out, even an Allison Risk, who is someone who is up in this tier, so many tremendously talented players. If Sloane Stevens has a turnaround season, if Coco Vandeweghe gets healthy and comes back to her peak form, all legitimate contenders. But Coco should be a top 15, top 20 player right now. She is that good. She competes with people at that level very consistently, very, very consistently. But too often, it's these little things that keep her from winning. And I think that she will partially overcome those this year. Okay, moving back to the men's side. Another favorite here on down the line, because you know what? If I'm going to stake my claim with certain people, make these bold predictions, might as well go with my guys. I think Yannick Sinner ends 2021 in the top 15 in the world. He's currently up at number 36. And if you exclude one retirement that he had due to injury, he ended the year on a 15-3 and run with wins over Sitsipas, Zverev, Goffin, Kasper Rudd, Dimonar, and an on-fire Vashek Pospisil, who is certainly playing better than his ranking reflects. His only losses were to Zverev, Rafa, and Dimitrov. So here we are with Sinner. He's now sitting at 19 years old, and I think that we see that he has all the tools, all the makings of a truly great player. He can slap the ball with great pace. He has beautiful touch. He's a good mover. He's consistent from the ground. He has everything that I could possibly want, so I don't feel like I need to make that much more of a case for him. The only thing that could reasonably hold him back would be the mental side of the game, and I feel like that's really not a factor with him. He is mature there. He is developed there, and I think that we saw that when he started really beating these top-level guys towards the end of the year, so he's already done it, effectively. He already was a top-15 guy as far as his performance over the last couple months of the season. It's just about sustaining that now for a year and putting it together, and I really think that he can. So I am really excited for what we see out of Sinner, and he is a guy who I am big-time invested in, and I think that that is going to pay off in the long term. Back to the women's side. I think that half of the WTA top 10 will be different by the end of this year. Now, obviously, women's tennis has been volatile recently. We haven't had that many pillars at the top. There's been fluctuation as far as world number ones, as far as Grand Slam winners. We didn't have anybody repeat this past year. We had Iga Sviatek come out of nowhere and win a slam. Even Kennan, although she had a good previous season, was relatively unheralded. Certainly was not someone people expected to go out there and win a slam. That's the kind of stuff that has been happening in women's tennis recently. So here are the people who I think are in danger because Halep, Barty, Andreescu, I don't necessarily think that they're going to be pushed out. Osaka, although she did have a stretch where she was right around 10 in the world this past season, I expect more from her than that, and I think that she should be a pillar in the top five this season. Here are the people I think are in danger. Svitolina, Pliskova, Kennan, Kvitova, Bertens, and Sabalenka. Because how many of those people convincingly perform on a week-to-week basis like a top 10 player? Kennan? Obviously had brilliant moments. She won a slam this past year. She had some great stretches, but too often was she losing to people she should have beaten. Zvitolina, I really am still shocked that she's a top five player in the world. I just don't think her talent level is there. Pliskova obviously has the weapons relatively consistent as far as her performance. One of the safer people out of this group, I would say, and you can put Kvitova in that same tier because she's been in this conversation for a long time. Although now, as she hits 30, does she drop off a little bit? That remains to be seen. But basically... 
It's not just because of the possible volatility with the people in the top 10. It's also because there's a number of really, really strong contenders outside of the top 10 who I think are maybe more talented, maybe more deserving of those spots. Serena is sitting at world 11 right now. If she doesn't emerge and take back a top 10 spot, I think that that will be concerning and might be signaling that we are really in the twilight of her career, which I hope is not true. Rybakina, who I was a huge advocate of this past season, and it seemed like when I predicted her to do great, she didn't do great. And if I predicted her to be eh, then she would probably go out there and win the tournament or make the finals. But so immensely talented, young, on the up, a top 20 player right now, could easily be top 10. Sviatek emerged out of nowhere, but... Reminds me of Andreescu in some ways, just with her ability to vary the pace, her tremendous touch, her great control, her poise. She could totally be a top 10 player. Azarenka came on so strong this year. Muguruza, her talent always puts her in that conversation. Sakari is someone who, really, I'm just a huge fan of her talent. I think that she's better than her ranking. Jennifer Brady, one of the people who came out of nowhere this past season and was playing at, frankly, a top 10 level for a good part of this season. She just didn't have the accumulation of points with this current system to take her to that level, and she didn't do it for long enough because she started, you know, relatively late in the season playing at that level. So, I think that these are all contenders, and I'm just not that convinced that that many people in the top 10 are locks. And this is very different from the men's side, where I wanted to push myself to say, okay, maybe Zverev falls out of the top 10, just because I think that he's somebody who is probably headed in the wrong direction, although he did just have some of his best performances ever at slams this past year. Mentally, I think that we see where he's headed, his second serve, all these things. He's not really attacking that consistently, but he's probably too talented. He's been a pillar in the top 10 for a reason. And that's just kind of how it's been with the top seven, eight guys on the men's side. The women, I don't quite feel that same way. And I think that we're going to see that throughout this season. Okay, looking at some more emerging talents who might thrust themselves into the big picture. On the men's side, I think that we're going to see the teenagers come on strong, and I'm not going to mention anyone who I haven't already talked about. I've been on the teenager watch for some time because I am a relentless optimist when it comes to the next generation of talent emerging, really the next next generation because obviously the next gen term has already been coined and given to the team Zverev era of things. So here are the guys who I think are really going to come on strong. Musetti. Nakashima and Carlos Alcaraz. If you're not familiar with any of them, Musetti's an Italian, Nakashima's an American, Alcaraz is a Spaniard. They are 18, 19, and 17, respectively. And they all had their moments this past season. Musetti had that incredible performance in Rome where he beat Nishikori and Stan, both pretty comfortably. And I think that we saw just his tremendous power. His one-hander is a thing of beauty. He plays with this physicality that you very rarely see, certainly not at his age. And I think he can be really, really special. I think he could be a world number one down the road. Alcaraz is interesting. He beat Ramos Vinolas back when he was just 16 years old, but has just this great movement. He's capable of playing defense and offense at a high level. Maybe he doesn't hit with the insane pace of a really high-level pro right now, but is still growing into his body. I think he grew a couple inches this year, and now he's at 6'1", and I think that he can still crank on the ball when he really needs to, and we saw that. Nakashima is a guy who just plays with tremendous poise, strong from both sides, from the baseline, a great mover, mentally tough. He won his first two matches ever in Del Rey. So right now, Nakashima sitting at world number 170, Musetti world number 129, Alcaraz world number 141, but they've both started to make their moves on the Challenger Tour, or they all have, I should say. Alcaraz has won his last two challengers, Nakashima. Just won one in Orlando back in November. And Musetti's had pretty consistent success on that level as well. So 
I think they all have real shots at being top 50. I think that they should be guys who we see frequently in slams, making third, maybe fourth round appearances. And I know that's expecting a big jump from them this year, but they're talented and they're more talented than a lot of the guys who are above them. So I'm putting my hope with the next generation there. Okay. I talked about the top 10 on the women's side. I have a couple people who I'd like to predict crash the party there on the men's side. I think either Dimitrov or Umber cracked the top 10 this year. So the case for Dimitrov is he was 18 and 11 this year. Eight of his losses came in deciding sets. He lost a lot of really close matches to really good players. And I think that some of those probably go his way if you run that simulation 10 times. And if that happens, he's on the fringe of the top 10 because right now he's sitting at 19, I believe. And the talent is obviously tremendous, but I just think we don't see him have really any of the issues that he had at some of the points earlier in his career. Mentally, he seems to be all there. He's striking the ball beautifully. He beat Tsitsipas and Kachanov to end the year. So I have faith in Dimitrov, and I think he can push for that spot. Umber, to me, is maybe the bolder take, but I think the more intriguing one because he was fantastic this past year, and he's a guy who I think I probably didn't give credit soon enough, and it really started for me towards the end of the year, but he was 24-12 and on the season with two titles, 5-3 and versus top 15 opponents, beat both Medvedev and Tsitsipas, and just has such incredible touch. If I could play like anybody, I would want the effortless power and the mind-blowingly beautiful touch and control of Ugo Umber. I honestly think that he is just an aesthetically incredible player to watch, and I think that he's... Uh, really in store for big things this year. I would bet on him possibly to have a better season than Shapovalov or Felix Ojealiasim, these young guys who I have talked about so much. Umber is probably not on Shapovalov's level as far as pure talent, but he has it more put together right now, in my opinion, and I think that he's likely to take a big jump. And then another reason I can see this happening is the bottom of the top 10 to me is not fully shored up. You know, Schwartzman had a impressive season, but it was an outlier throughout his career, and I don't know if he can quite sustain that. Matteo Berrettini, tremendously talented, but I think that both of these guys are as talented, if not more so. So although I think that the seven, eight top guys are probably going to remain similar, maybe the same this year, I think those nine and 10 spots are open, and maybe these are the two guys who take them. I had a similar prediction this past year, but I put my faith in the two young Canadians in Felix Ojealiasim and Denis Shapovalov and also Stan Vavrinka, I believe I thought would return to the top 10. And those didn't go particularly well for me, although Shapovalov is close, but he didn't quite get over the hump. This year, I'm going with these two guys. I have faith in them. Okay, last bold prediction on the women's side here, and then we have one more for the men. I think that Ashley Barty falls out of the top three this year. And the only reason that's a bold take, in my opinion, is because her lead on world number one right now is so solid. She has 8,717 points. That's basically 3,000 ahead of world number three, Naomi Osaka. But when I look ahead to this year, I would take Andreescu over her. I would take Osaka over her. I would take Halep over her. And I don't know if I can give you a concrete reason for that. It's sort of just an assessment of their talent because Ashley Barty is really good. She was 11-3 and this past year when she did play, although she opted out for most of the season. But She's not some indestructible staple. I actually think that Halep is a more reliable talent in that respect who can do it on all surfaces. And I think that Andreescu and Osaka, if they can just put it together for a whole year, have a much higher level to get to than Barty. So she's a great player on all surfaces. And it's interesting because we haven't seen that many years of really good tennis from her, obviously because she was off tour for a while and then returned in 2019, got up to world number one, and then we didn't see that much of her this past year. But I don't have this 
incredible faith in her to sustain the level that we did see in 2019. And I think that as the top of the WTA gets stronger right now, which I expect it to with Osaka and Andreescu returning to top form, I think that she might be the odd woman out of that equation. So I have her falling out of the top three. Last take here. My obligatory American men take. I have to talk about them. Maybe nobody else cares, but you know what? I do because somewhere there has to be a diamond in the rough. There has to be a light at the end of the tunnel. This year, I think it's Tommy Paul, a guy who I've talked about on the show. I enjoy him. I enjoy his game. I think that he finishes this year as the top-ranked American. He's world number 52 right now. That is fifth among the Americans, but I think in some ways had the most impressive season. He had a 15-13 and 13 record. I think he has the most well-rounded game. A beautiful striker of the ball from both sides from the ground. I think he has a bigger serve than sometimes he gets credit for and at the very least controls it well for the most part and had some really great wins. Beat Dimitrov, beat Zverev in Acapulco, beat Dimitrov in a best of five format in the Australian and just consistently competed and hung in there and was a completely different player than he had been in years past when he was grinding on the Challenger Tour. Looked like a real pro who could be a top 30 kind of guy. And when I look at the other contenders here, Riley Opelka had a really good but really inconsistent year. And personally, I just don't think his all-around game is as strong. And maybe this is the formula for Americans. It's just the dudes who have massive serves and can hold enough to win a good amount of matches. And that's going to be our top guys. That's what Isner's been for the better part of a decade. But I just think that Tommy is the better all-around player and has a higher ceiling to get to there. Taylor Fritz is another interesting contender just because he has the weapons and he had a really good result in Acapulco this year where he reached the finals. At the same time, he kind of relied on that to carry him throughout this season. Wasn't all that great outside of that. So I'm going to go with the guy who I think had the most consistent results, who I think has the most consistent, strong all-around game. If Brandon Nakashima could emerge and take this title, I would be as happy as a clam. That would make my day. I'm not going to put my faith quite in that, although he is coached by friend of the show, Dushan Vemich. So that is definitely bonus points for him. And we'll see how this all shakes out. I predicted before last year that no American would finish the year in the top 20. I was unfortunately right. Maybe that changes this year. I'm not going to predict Tommy's in the top 20. I don't think he has to be to be the number one American this year, sad as that may be. But I do think that he's going to have a good season. So there we go. Those are all the bold predictions. Now, just going to walk through my slam picks just to go back. And if I get any of these right, boast about them, I guess, in the future. So for the Australian, on the men's side, I have Djokovic beating Medvedev. Again, it was just the late season surge for Medvedev. Obviously, this is on a hard court that favors him. Djokovic, though, is the king of the Australian, so I have to take him there to win his ninth title. On the women's side, I have Andreescu beating Muguruza. Now, this would be a fascinating clash. Muguruza was the runner-up here last year when she lost to Kennan. Andreescu, on a hard court surface, I just think is right up there, maybe the best player in tennis, and I'm going to bet on her to start the year off with a bang, come out, make a statement. French Open. On the men's side, I have Rafa beating team. I think that I tried to go bold this past year and pick against Rafa. That was my preseason prediction at the very least. Oh, and actually I picked Djokovic to beat him just moments before disaster unfolded and he destroyed him. So not going to make that mistake twice. I think the team arguably is the second best clay quarter in tennis right now. I would probably take Djokovic over him, but when it comes to the French team seems to have the advantage. He's been the one who's emerged the last few years. So I'll go with him there. For the women, this was an interesting one to pick. As much as I would love to give Sviatek her credit as obviously the defending champion, I haven't seen enough from her overall to pick her 
to return to the final this year. Maybe if she impresses throughout the early stretches of this coming season, but we just really don't know what she is. She was great throughout that run. I don't know if I can pick her to replicate that result. So I have Hollop, who I think is the best clay quarter in the world on the women's side, beating Barty, who is another strong clay quarter, just a good player regardless of surface. Andreescu would be an intriguing pick. I'm not sure she's proven enough on clay for me to say that she's going to be really in that conversation when it comes time for the French, but we'll see how she performs throughout the season and throughout the tune-ups to that tournament. Wimbledon. I have Novak Djokovic beating Roger Federer. These are easily the two best grass court players in men's tennis, assuming that Federer returns to his normal form, and I don't want to pick anybody else. This is what I would love to see. This is what I expect to see, and I think that Djokovic wins it. On the women's side, I have Osaka beating Serena. This is maybe a hot take because Osaka has not performed well at Wimbledon in the past. She's never made the fourth round, actually, which is pretty insane, but I do think her game translates well. I think it's just a matter of experience and playing her best tennis at on that stage, and I expect her to do that this year. Why wouldn't I? I have tremendous faith in her, and Serena is just a weapon on that surface with her tremendous power, and obviously we know how much she's dominated Wimbledon in years past, so I think that would be a great final, and I would take Osaka there. U.S. Open, last slam of the year. I have team beating Djokovic. Has team proven that he can do this on a best-of-five stage on hard court? He certainly has not. But one of my bold predictions was that someone other than the big three would win a slam this year. If it's going to be someone, I would say team is the most likely to do it. And maybe this is the place that he does it because he obviously won the title here this past year. And I think that this is reasonable. Now, when it comes to this matchup in the moment, would I pick team? I don't know, but that's not the situation I'm in. I'm just trying to make my bold prediction exist in the same universe as this one. For the women... I have Andreescu beating Osaka. It would be each of their second slam final appearance for this year. Andreescu's second slam title. Again, if I haven't made that clear, I think that these are the two talented, should be the two best players on the WTA, and I will go with Andreescu here, but this would be a fantastic, fantastic final. So I will say that I expect the world number ones at the end of the year to be Andreescu, as I already made the case for, and Djokovic. He hasn't given me enough to really doubt him there. Certainly hasn't given me more than anybody else because he was flawless at some points this past season. And even though he wasn't flawless when he was winning some of those matches, he was beating people without playing his best tennis for a decent part of that year. So he's still to me the best player on tour. And until I am shown something else, then this is the prediction that I will stick with. And I expect him to blow away Federer's record of weeks at world number one because he's primed to do that pretty early in this season, and I think that he can sustain world number one for most, if not all, of the year. But of course, we will see. Maybe there are unforeseen circumstances that make that sound ridiculous in the future. We really just don't know. It's 2021. Maybe it won't be as chaotic as this past year was on tour. Maybe it will be, and maybe we will have similar difficulties as far as COVID. There have already been, obviously, delays with the Australian getting pushed back to February, postponements for even longer than that with Indian Wells. We don't know when that will be taking place. Certainly not in its normal slot in the schedule, but you know what? We're going to ride it out. Hopefully, we can get these events to happen. Hopefully, we have an incredible year of tennis where people are healthy, where people are participating and playing at a really high level, and if that all happens, even if all my predictions are massively incorrect, I will be happy. So, we have a fun year in store. We're going to see the return of some people to tour, even who I haven't talked about. Nick Kyrgios, who effectively didn't play this past season, only played at the very beginning. 
just because he took a mental break of sorts, took the opportunity with COVID to do that. And I'm excited to see if he comes back and looks better, looks sharper, looks more motivated. That would be really fun to see. We have basically the return of Kane Ishikori, who only came back at the end of this past year after he had been suffering an injury. Juan Martin Del Potro, maybe if we're very lucky, will be healthy and he is always a joy to watch. So it's going to be a fun year. It's a year filled with uncertainty, just like last year was. And I just hope that some of the young guys break through. I hope that Shapovalov, who I really didn't talk about this episode, one of my favorite guys, though, I hope that he emerges, Sinner, Felix, all these people. I just hope for the best because I want to have as many great tennis players as possible this season. And we have some fascinating depth of talent, and we'll see where it takes us all. So cannot wait to get into this all, starting with Delray Beach on the men's side, Dubai on the women's side. It's going to be truckloads of fun, and I cannot wait to experience it all this season. So that'll do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brabber, and this was Down the Line.